When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome everyone, thanks for joining. We have a lot to jump into in this video. Of course, we're gonna be going over my portfolio. I'll give a quick update on it. We won't spend a lot of time, but we'll be taking a look at my upcoming dividends. We have a very big dividend coming down the pipeline from Vici, and I'll be giving my updated thoughts on this company. Now, we also have news out of China that Evergrande bondholders in the US didn't receive their interest payments. So Evergrande is not making their payments, and China's making preparations for the Evergrande demise. It's interesting to see the way that the Chinese government is dealing with this. While in the US, we're happy to bail out big companies, China's being very reluctant to bail out Evergrande. So we're going to see what happens with the fallout of this company. And then I also want to spend some time on this episode talking about valuations. We have the ARK Innovation ETF that year to date is down 5.93%. It seems that valuations are starting to matter again to the market. The companies trading at these lofty valuations are going through a prolonged period of underperformance. So we'll be talking about valuations, we'll be talking about market sentiment, and I'll give you some of my thoughts on this subject. And also in this episode, we have an update on Elizabeth Holmes' trial. This is something that's probably a lot of people's worst nightmare. I think that this is accurately described as people's worst nightmare. This is your personal text messages being revealed to the public. Having everyone in the world look at your personal text messages. Well, there's been thousands of text messages of Elizabeth Holmes and Sonny Belwani being revealed in this trial, and we are going to take a look at some of them. So we have a lot to jump into in this episode. I'm told that if you thumbs up the video, it helps out the algorithm. Now, I have no hard evidence that that's the case. That's what a lot of other YouTubers say. So if there's a chance it does, maybe help me out, throw a thumbs up. We'll see if it makes a difference in the analytics. Now, having said that, let's go ahead and jump right in. Let's start off with a portfolio update. This is a passive income portfolio. The goal of it is to create a growing and passive stream of income. I do that through investing in a diversified group of high quality dividend paying companies and ETFs. Now, recently I've been building up and focusing on a couple key positions. One of them is in the tech and cloud computing category. The first one is Microsoft. This is a company that I've been building up a larger and larger position in over the past month. I've been doing continual deposits and buying more and more of this company. The reason why is because I believe that Microsoft is not only a great dividend payer that raises its dividend every single year. It's like a bond that pays you more yield every single year, which I think is amazing. But on top of that, I think the company still has value and growth ahead of it. Microsoft is currently $297 a share. Now it's trading at a Ford PE multiple of 34. That's based off of $8.80 per share of earning next year. But if we look out a little bit further into the projections of their earnings, the average estimate from analysts in 2023 is that Microsoft will earn $10.06 per share. That's in 2023. So if the analysts maintain that earning expectation for Microsoft into 2022, that means that Microsoft with the same PE ratio, with the exact same multiple, will be trading at $340 a share. 
That's pretty good. Right there, that's above a 13% return from here. And I think a 13% return is pretty good for a company like Microsoft. But I actually believe with the qualities of Microsoft, with the growth opportunity, with Azure, with the success that they've been having, I think this company can trade at a 35 PE ratio or above. I really believe that it's that quality of a company with that big of a moat. It can trade above a 35 PE ratio. And if Microsoft trades at a 35 PE next year, that means the price will be around $350, which is around a 16 to 17% return, which I think is very good for a company like Microsoft in one year. Another thing I'll mention on earnings projections with Microsoft is that they almost, if not always, beat their earnings projection. They're always in the green. They're always surprising to the upside. Since 2017, every single quarter, they've surprised to the upside with their earnings. So these analyst expectations, I think if anything, they're on the low end. So Microsoft is a company that I'm still adding to, even though it's had a great year so far. I still see value in this company. I still see outperformance in the future. It's a highly diversified company with ample growth opportunity, and it's a consistent dividend grower. Now, outside of Microsoft, the other company that I've been buying over the past month in my portfolio is in the real estate category, and it's Vici. This is a company that I remain bullish on, even though I'm in the red on it currently. I'm still in the red. It's been trading pretty flat for a while as the market has been digesting a lot of news coming out of Vici. They're buying the Venetian, they're buying MGM growth properties, they're buying golf resorts. They're buying so much stuff so quickly that the market has a hard time keeping up with the changes. And for some investors, especially in real estate, I think that they get a little bit wary of companies that are moving this fast. But one thing I'll mention about Vici is even though they're moving very quickly, they're making all these acquisitions, they also have a huge emphasis on their balance sheet and not becoming over leveraged. They've tried to keep their debt in check and make sure it's always at manageable levels. And they're continually repaying loans and minimizing their debt so that they can have an investor grade balance sheet. And Vici's still being heavily discounted. Right now, Vici trades at a forward price to funds from operation of 15. A price to funds from operation of 15. That's very cheap. In fact, look at the price to funds from operation of other REITs. Realty Income Corp trades at a 19.6. That's more expensive than Vici. Store Capital trades at an 18.4. That's more expensive than Vici. The premium REITs like Digital Realty Trust trade at a lot higher price to funds from operation, a 23.81. Vici's is 15. Public storage trades at a 24.6. So when Vici trades at such a lower price to funds from operation, that means that investors are either pricing in and they're discounting a lot of risk with Vici or slower growth. Well, the company certainly doesn't have slower growth. It's going to be growing its FFO faster than most other REITs. So I think that investors are pricing an extra risk with this company. But I also don't believe the business model is anywhere as risky as people are pricing it. They collected 100% of rents in 2020, and the company is being priced right now as if it's struggling. So as long as this company trades at this severe of a discount, and it's paying nearly a 5% starting yield right now, I'm going to continue adding to it. I don't mind if this company grows as a bigger and bigger position because it's a long-term holding for me and I'm fine collecting that 5% yield as well as their yearly dividend raises. I'm very bullish on this company. And in addition to that, if we look at my software here, this is for the Patreon members, I can look at upcoming dividends and see what I have in the pipeline. We can see that juicy dividend here from Vici. $255 is what it's projecting based on my current share count. So every quarter, every three months, This company is going to pay me $255 to wait for the price to appreciate. I get this dividend whether the price appreciates or not. So even though I think that Vici will see appreciation in price over time, I'm fine collecting this dividend in the meantime. Now, we also have some other ones coming up. We have Texas Roadhouse. That's a smaller one, $27. Then we have a bigger one, SCHD. 
That is the Schwab US Dividend Equity ETF. That's $188. So I'm excited to see this one grow. Then we have T. Rowe Price, $11. That's a very small holding. Simon Property, that is a growing holding in my portfolio. That one's going to be $60.58. And then Nike with the $8 dividend. So right now in my upcoming dividend pipeline, I have around $550 between now and October 7th. And I think that that's pretty good because this is officially declared dividends. These are ones that have officially said they're going to pay their dividend. And as more companies in my portfolio declare their dividend officially, this graph will automatically update with those new dividends. Now we can also look at a yearly view of how I'm tracking my growth over time. I can look year to year. In 2018, I earned $378 in dividends. That was the first year that I started this portfolio. So the growth rate was zero at the time because that's when I started. And then in 2019, I increased my portfolio value a lot. I deposited a lot and my dividends grew from 378 to 1,748, which is a 362% increase. So in one year, I increased my dividends over three and a half times. And then from 2019 to 2020, my dividends went from 1,749 to 3,168, which is an 81% increase. And then so far from 2020 to 2021, I've earned almost the identical amount of dividends that I did last year, but we have four months left to be able to count towards this. So I'm hoping that the growth rate will move into the positives at least 30 or 40%. That's what I'd like to maintain, a 30 to 40% dividend growth rate over the upcoming five years. So the way that I'm tracking my dividend growth is very similar to how I track revenue growth of a company. It starts off a lot faster. As companies are smaller, their total revenue is smaller so they can grow that revenue at bigger percentages. But then as they get a little bit more mature, the revenue growth rate slows down a little bit. And I expect that to happen with my portfolio, but I'd still like to grow my dividends at 30 to 40% per year. And I think that if I'm able to do that, my portfolio will grow substantially. Now, of course, if you want to use this software, it's called Qualtrum.com. It's included as part of the Patreon at no additional charge. So if you're wanting to try this out, check out the Patreon. There's a link in the description or it's patreon.com slash Joseph Carlson. Now, moving on, I wanted to give a quick update on the whole Evergrande situation. Evergrande bondholders in the U.S. did not receive their interest payments on time. And the Wall Street Journal reports that Evergrande was on the hook to make an $83 million coupon payment by September 23rd, which has passed, and on dollar bonds with a face value of $2.3 billion. The company could make the payments belatedly, and it has a 30-day grace period before the bondholders can call a default. So right there, they have a grace period of 30 days to make up for this missed $83 million payment. And they say a missed payment could set the stage for what could be the largest ever dollar bond default by a company in Asia. Now, how is the Chinese government reacting to this? We had some rumors, we had some people saying that the Chinese government is going to bail them out, but I don't think that's the case. The actual reporting is Beijing is being very reluctant to bail out this company. In fact, Beijing is instructing the local governments on how to deal with the fallout of this bankruptcy. They say the officials characterize the actions being ordered as, quote, getting ready for the possible storm, saying that local-level government agencies and state-owned enterprises have been instructed to step in and handle the aftermath only at the last minute should Evergrande fail to manage its affairs in an orderly fashion. So as far as I can tell, they are gearing for the inevitable fallout of this bankruptcy. They said that the local governments have been tasked with preventing unrest and mitigating the ripple effect on home buyers in the broader economy. For example, by limiting job losses, scenarios that have grown in likelihood as Evergrande's situation has worsened. 
So what I see from the Chinese government is a different approach from the U.S. The Chinese government might let this company fail and then try to deal with the fallout. And that might work for China. And I don't believe that this situation will have a dramatic worldwide ripple effect on the U.S. economy. I really don't believe that that will happen. But I also don't believe for a second that the U.S. government would ever take this approach again. After watching Lehman Brothers fail and the financial crisis that unfolded from that, the U.S. government will never let a company with $300 billion of debt fail, especially if they're a home builder especially if they're so integral into the economy. They will never let this happen again. That was such an enormous debacle for the U.S. economy that companies this big are simply too big to fail. Now, moving on from Evergrande, there's another situation unfolding right now that I think is important, but it's not getting nearly as much airtime. And that is the situation of valuation starting to matter a little bit in the market. And I think that this is a good thing. We knew that for a while, valuation didn't really matter. And ARK Innovation ETF was the prime example of valuations not mattering. For almost all of 2020, ARK Innovation ETF went up month after month after month, week after week, in almost a linear line upwards. And it got to the point where it was up 231% in one year. But now if we fast forward to this year, the performance of ARK has not been nearly as stunning. It's down 5.75% year to date. And that's while the S&P 500 is up 20% year to date. So ARK is down over 25% from the S&P 500. Now, if we even zoom out more, the past trailing year, and we hit that nice peak with the ARK Innovation ETF, it's still underperforming SPY. Over the past trailing year, the ARK Innovation ETF is up 33.6%, while the S&P 500 is up 37.6%. And you can obviously see which one of these is a little bit more volatile than the other. The people that purchased the S&P 500 in January or February, they're still in the green, while the people that purchased ARK are still in the red at this point. If we look at ARK's top holdings, we can see what's led to their underperformance this year. Tesla is their biggest holding by far. It's 10%, and this is a wonderful company. I think that Tesla has a very bright future. The valuation did get pretty high earlier this year, and it's currently trying to catch up. Right now, year to date, it's 5% in the green. So it's still underperforming SPY, by a decent margin, but at least this one is in the green. Teladoc is ARK's second largest holding, and it has been a disaster this year. It's down 32% year to date, and it's down 53% from its highs. This company has really struggled, and I think the big issue with it is the valuation, because this company is still growing 40 or 50% revenues year over year. Roku is ARK's third biggest holding, and this one's just barely in the green by 1% this year. It really has just traded up and down as it's already grown into a sizable valuation. You have to ask yourself, how much of the upside of these companies is already priced in? Coinbase is ARK's fourth biggest holding. They've lost a lot of money on this one. They bought it early in the IPO just this year. It's down 28%. Coinbase currently, even though it's down 28%, Coinbase has a larger market cap than the NASDAQ exchange. Zoom is another fast-growing company that saw amazing performance in 2020. This was all the hype during 2020. People talked about Zoom nonstop as taking over video conferencing. But what we see this year and year to date is that Zoom is struggling to keep up with its valuation despite its growth. It's now being crowded out by other big tech players like Google or FaceTime from Apple or Microsoft Teams or all the other video communication tools. Virtually every big tech company is now building out their communication tools and Zoom's having to compete with all of them. The company still boasts an $80 billion market cap. 
It is an enormous company. Now, I really truly don't bring this up to diss ARK investor Kathy Wood. She's outperformed the S&P 500 since her fund began, and she's proved a lot of the haters wrong on Tesla. So Kathy Wood deserves a lot of credit. The reason that I highlight this is just to bring up that valuations matter that they do matter. Things can't go on forever. When stocks are growing to insane valuations, way above their earnings, way above their revenues, that can't go on forever. And everybody that says valuations matter while these companies are going parabolic and they're increasing every single day, if you're investing in the S&P 500 during this time, you might look like a fool and you might feel like a fool investing in SPY while seeing ETFs like ARK Invest climb more and more every day. But as you can see over time, if you invest wisely and invest based off valuation, that does matter over time. And typically people that pay attention to valuations, they'll outperform in the long run. Not during some huge surge, not during one parabolic movement from an ETF, but over an entire market cycle, people that pay attention to valuations, I think will come out on top. Now moving on, we got to do an update on the Elizabeth Holmes trial and the quote unquote cringy text messages that are now being made public. And they call this the ultimate crime deterrent, the possibility of your text messages becoming public if you commit a crime. The Elizabeth Holmes trial has made me more determined than ever to avoid doing crimes. I'll be sticking to the law from here on out. Thank you very much. It's not for any noble reason. I don't have any sense of morality or sudden desire to be a good person. No, I am zealously sticking to the law because doing crimes could, theoretically, put me in the same position that Theranos founder Holmes is in right now having my text message history revealed in court. Some of these text messages, I have to say, are pretty bizarre and they are cringy. Now, I admit that if you're texting somebody that you know and it's personal, you might say things that might be cringier than if you know it's going to be public. But still, some of these are just weird. Here's a text message conversation, or at least two texts, between Elizabeth Holmes and Sonny Balwani, who I think they were dating at this time. She says, quote, you are the breeze in desert for me, my water and ocean, meant to be only together tiger. I think the tiger was a pet name for Sonny Balwani. And he responds with just, okay. And I think that that is the perfect response that really, uh, really epitomizes the message she just sent. Now, I've seen others take this as a challenge. They decided to send out the same stream of messages that Elizabeth Holmes sent to their significant other. And one of them here that I think is a really good response says, did an AI write this? It's so beautiful. Now, I decided to do the same thing. I texted my wife this same stream of messages in the exact same order with no warning, just completely out of the blue. I texted her these same messages and this was her reply. It's the gif of the confused girl, which I think is an appropriate reply. So if you want to have some fun, you can text that same thing to someone else and just see their reply. That is a real message sent from Elizabeth Holmes to Sonny Balwani, who they were in a nice relationship then, but now they're blaming each other. At least Elizabeth Holmes is blaming Sonny Balwani as manipulating her into doing all the erroneous things that she did. All the crimes that she committed were the result of Sonny Balwani. He was really the puppeteer pulling the strings. Of course, I don't believe that's accurate, but that is what the defense attorneys are arguing in court right now. Now that's going to be it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to check out the Patreon, you get access to a Discord community. There's thousands of active members, as well as you get access to Qualtrum.com, which is the software we're building from the ground up. We already have a big dividend tracking portion built out, but we're also venturing into other aspects like a stock information tool that I think will be 
really good. So I'm excited about that. That's something that you can try out as well. There's a link in the description of this video or it's patreon.com slash Joseph Carlson. Other than that, I'll see you in the next episode.